Johnny on prayer walking. Brilliant. Okay, Dave, we're going to... Let's welcome Dave as he comes up for our next message. Cheers, Tom. Morning, everyone. Morning. Nice to see you all. Um, in case you don't know me and you have no idea why people clap for me, uh, which I don't, <laughs> um, my name's Dave and I'm part of uh, the gathering here. I, really quickly, I also just work for something called uh, Leeds School of Theology and the director of Leeds School of Theology. And just a, a quick plug, what we do is we do, um, we run an informal theology school based in Leeds, which is helping people get their heads around the big question of who is God and how does it work in the world and how do we understand the scriptures. We've got a, uh, a new course starting, or our next course starting in September called the Night School Course. It runs all online over 20 Monday evening sessions. And so if you've always wanted to kind of get your head around who God is, get your head around the scriptures, but you don't want to spend thousands of pounds doing a degree, then Lee School of Theology might be something you're really interested in. Um, if that does sound appealing, then come and chat to me at the end. Okay, enough of a plug. We are continuing our series in Exodus today. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 3. If you've got a Bible, you might want to open it or turn it on or do whatever you need to do to get a Bible in front of you. And I'm just going to read the passage that we're looking at, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through to verse 15. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Which is, of course, what you'd all think if you saw a bush on fire. Um, When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of Israel has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that, is, that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God, oh sorry, uh, yes, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. 
This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. What's in the name? Do you know what your name means? My name is David. It means beloved. But it doesn't really tell you anything about me. It doesn't tell you the meaning of my life or anything really significant about me. In my culture, names don't really tell you much about the person. But in other cultures, someone's name might tell you uh, something about their family heritage or family origin. It might tell you about the circumstances of their birth. And that's the world of the Bible is like that. Names in the Bible tell you something significant about the person. Think of Abraham. He's uh, renamed from Abraham to Abraham, which means the father of many nations, because that's the role he plays at the beginning of the story of God's people. Moses is called Moses because it sounds like the Hebrew word to draw, because Pharaoh's daughter drew him out of the water. His name tells you something about his childhood. Jesus is called Jesus because it's the Greek form of Joshua, and Joshua means the Lord saves, and Jesus is the one who saves his people from their sins. In the Bible, names are a big deal. And in Exodus chapter 3, God reveals his name to Moses, and his name tells us about what God is like and how he will act for his people. Who you think God is and who you say God is will determine how you live your life. Non-existent God, create your own meaning, create your own mortality, live, uh, morality, sorry, mortality, that'd be funny. Create your own morality, live as you see fit. Or if you've got a distant God, he's uninterested in your life. He might be there, but it's not going to affect how you live. He's not the one you should call on for help. Maybe you think God's a vindictive God. He only sees what you do wrong and is out to get you. So maybe it means you live fearful of that God or angry with him. Whoever you confess God to be determines how you live. Now the thing with the God of the Bible is he doesn't leave it up to us to try and figure out who he is. He reveals himself to us. He's the one who makes himself known to us. We're not meant to create God in our own image. We're meant to respond to who God himself shows himself to be. One thing we see in the Bible is God is a relational God. He wants to know you. He wants you to have a more and more intimate knowledge and relationship with him. He wants you to grow in your understanding of who he is and what it looks like to walk through life hand in hand with him. And this is what happens to Moses and the people of God in the book of Exodus and in this chapter. Now, what's funny is sometimes when you come to read the Bible, you can think the characters in the Bible know way more about God than they actually do. And I think Moses is a good example of this. What does Moses actually really know about God at the beginning of this story? We find him in the wilderness tending to some sheep. He arrived there when he was 40. It's been 40 years, so now he's 80. 40 years of tending sheep, 
being in the wilderness. And then he's tending his sheep and he sees this incredible sight. He sees a bush that's on fire, but it's not burning up. And then a voice calls to him, Moses, Moses, but tells him to come no closer because it's holy ground. The voice says, I'm the God of your father or fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So Moses knows enough about God at this point to know he shouldn't look upon God. He maybe has a a reverent fear of God, or maybe he just has a fear fear. In this moment, God is actually revealing something to Moses. He's revealing to Moses that he's holy, that he's pure, that he's other than, that he's transcendent and powerful, but also he's a God who's imminent. He's a God who's close. He's a God who comes and seeks Moses out. He's a God who comes and finds Moses. In one small scene, Moses' understanding of God shifts. He meets this immense yet personal God. And this is a God who says, I know my people and I see their suffering. The Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. The cry of the Israelites has reached me. I've seen the way the Israelites are oppressing them. Moses now knows God is a God who sees, who hears, who cares, cares for the oppressed, cares for the ones in slavery. But he doesn't just care. He's come to act. He's come to do something about it. Now, you might think that all sounds really familiar. You might be sat here in the room and you're a Christian and you know the story and you know God is a God who rescues, that God is a God on the side of the oppressed. But for Moses and the people of God at this point in the story, they don't know that that's what God is like. Why not? Because the exodus hasn't happened yet. The deliverance from slavery hasn't happened yet. Their knowledge and understanding and awareness of God is in progress. The revelation of who God is is gradually increasing and unfolding for them. They don't know him yet as the God who delivers and rescues them. And that is exactly the same for every single person's relationship with God in the room and outside of the room. Our relationships with God are in progress. Our understandings of God are in progress. The depth of our relationship with God are in progress. And our knowledge of God and our understanding of God is going to increase as God reveals more and more of himself to us throughout our lives. And so often that comes through the, the circumstances that you find yourself in and who God reveals himself to be to you and for you in those circumstances. So for me, day one of becoming a Christian, or maybe days one, two, three, four, five, um, it was like this amazing revelation. God knows me. God loves me. God sees me. I would talk to all my Christian friends and be like, isn't this incredible? God knows me. They're like, yeah. God loves me. Yeah. What was like revolutionary for me was something that they'd probably known for quite a while. It was brand new revolutionary information. My whole world was changing. But that was a while ago, I don't know, 15 years ago. 
I don't tend to get moments like that with God as often anymore. The way I'm getting to know God has changed. It's deepened. It looks different. It's like your relationship with a close friend or a a relationship with a spouse. When you first meet them or when you first get to know them, you come home buzzing. You've got butterflies. You're like, I had such a good time with that person. But 25 years into a friendship or relationship, you probably don't get the butterflies as much. You might say you do, but you probably don't. It looks different. The depth of the relationship looks different. In the last four years or so as a family, we have just had such a rough set of circumstances and such a rough set of uh, disappointments and grief and difficulty. Um, And a a few months ago, um, my wife got diagnosed with breast cancer. And it's just a... (laughs) It's just a kind of pit moment. You're just in that place where it's dark and it's hard and you're trying to get your head around it. And my understanding of who God is wasn't, it didn't look like those first few days of being a Christian. God knows me, God loves me. But in the darkness, God reveals something new. God reveals something new about himself. And he says, I'm the God who hears your cry of pain and lament and disappointment and sadness, and questioning of like, really? Something else? Something harder? Right now? Couldn't you wait? He reveals he's a God who says, I seize you. Like Hagar in the desert in Genesis 16, when she's fleeing a sexually abusive relationship, and God meets her, and she says, I name you, and I name you the God who sees, and the God who understands. But God reveals that to me in that moment, in the broken moment, because that's when I need to know that's who he is. It's revelation in progress. Depending on your season, depending on your circumstance, depending on your context, God is wanting to reveal himself to you in such a way as you need to know God in this season. God doesn't change, but your knowledge of who God is does change. And God tells Moses, he is a God who hears the cry of his people and has come down to rescue them. And then God says to Moses, I am sending you, or I will send you to Pharaoh. And Moses says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? I think Moses' question there is probably a bit twofold. Firstly, he probably doubts himself that he can in any way help the situation. What am I going to do about national systemic violent slavery? I'm a sheep farmer, and I've been a sheep farmer for 40 years. I didn't do a socio-political degree. I've got no diplomacy skills. But secondly, there's probably also an an implicit question. Who are you to send me? Who are you, God, to send me to go and do this? And God responds, I will be with you. Or a different translation would be, I am with you. Amen. God actually responds to both of Moses' questions. Like, who am I? What am I going to do about the situation? I am with you. It will be God's work through Moses that brings about the deliverance. But also Moses' implicit question of like, who are you? Who are you to send me to do this? I am the God who is with you. I am the God who is present with you. And up to this point, I don't think Moses knows God as the one who will be present with him or the God who will work through him. Might be really familiar language to us, but I don't think it is to Moses at this point. 
And then Moses says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites, your people, and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say, what's his name? I think that's actually quite a helpful behind, like pulling back of the curtain of the people of God's awareness of God. They are oppressed in slavery. It's, it's, let me get this right. 430 years since Joseph. Is that right? Thank you. For, I'm just checking my Bible knowledge. Their knowledge of God has waned. It's been lost. And so when Moses is, Moses is like, I'm going to rock up and tell these people, God's going to come and rescue you. And they're going to be like, who is he? Who is this God? What's his name? God says to Moses, I am who I am. He responds with a verb, which is just funny. Somebody says, what's your name? Running. What's your name? Breathing. You'd be like, okay. (laughs) Unusual. But he responds with a verb. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, which is translated Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. God reveals himself through his names. He reveals his the I am, the one who is present with them. He's also the same God who revealed himself to their ancestors. He was present with the people back then. He's still present with his people. He's a consistent God. He is their faithful God. He's the God of Abraham, the person whom he called to begin the nation of God's people. He's the God who saves. He saves Isaac from being sacrificed. He's the God who brought them and made them into a nation because he's the God of Jacob who becomes Israel from which the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel come from. He's the God who's watched over them, who's grown them, and now he's the God who's present with them and he's going to deliver them. He's the God of their future. Now the book of Exodus tells the story, this great ark of God delivering his people by bringing this mighty, oppressive nation to its knees and saving a poor and needy people. If we were to jump forward to near the end of Exodus, after God has rescued his people, Moses asks to see the glory of the Lord. Moses' relationship with God has developed so much that he's gone from hiding his face at the bush to saying to God, I want to see your glory. I want to behold you and look upon you. And God passes before Moses in Exodus 34. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name, the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. In one of the closing scenes of the book, God reveals himself again, declaring his name again, but now he gives a fuller revelation of who he is, a bigger description. It's not only 
the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh. Not only the God of your ancestors, not only the I am, the God of presence and promise, but now a God of mercy and grace and patience and love and faithfulness and justice. This description of God becomes the most quoted description of God in the Old Testament. It defines for the Hebrews, God's people, this is who our God is. How do they know? The rescue from Egypt reveals to them this is who their God is. So why didn't God say that in Exodus chapter 3? When Moses says, what's your name? Who are you? What shall I tell the people about who you are? Why doesn't God just give this description? Because God reveals himself faithful, mighty, loving, gracious, deliverer by his action. The Hebrews don't come to know God as that God is a gracious redeemer simply because he says he is. They know he's a gracious redeemer because he acts to graciously redeem them. God does not call on you to trust in names that he has not proven of himself. He calls you to trust on names he has proven of himself and he will prove of himself in your life. Now, for us, we live on the other side of the climactic moment of God's saving activity, the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. It's in Jesus we see the clearest, fullest revelation of who God is. And do you know what we see? We see name after name after name being revealed. Name after name after name being given to Jesus to reveal who he is because of his activity. He's the second Adam who is fully obedient when we are not. He's the advocate who stands on your side. He's the almighty, the everlasting one. He's the bread of life who provides for you. He's the beloved son of God who makes a way for you to become beloved children of God. He's the good shepherd who lays down his life for you, his sheep. He's the great high priest who brings you before God. He's the I am the same God as Moses knew. He's the judge who can distinguish between good and evil. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the light of the world that shines in the darkness, however great the darkness is. He's the Lamb who was slain. He's the one who walks with the suffering, the afflicted, and the dying. He's the Messiah, God's rescuer and deliverer for you. He's the risen one, the one who's conquered death so that we too will be raised. He's the door through whom we walk through to come to the Father. He's the way, the one we follow. He's the true vine we're grafted into who enables us to bear fruit for his kingdom. He's the truth who reveals truth to you. He's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. And that's just the sample of the names the scriptures use to describe who your God is. That's who God desires to reveal himself to you as. Sometimes it's world-shaking and revolutionary. Other times it's the still small voice in the midst of a hurricane. How do you respond to a God who reveals himself like this? You keep coming. Whatever the doubt, whatever the weakness, whatever the darkness, you come to him again and you say, 
who are you to me in this season? What do I need to hear from you? When my wife got her diagnosis, and we're further down the journey, and we're in a much better place. When my wife got the diagnosis, um, we had loads of text messages and WhatsApps of people of support who were praying for us, who were praying the names of God over us, that he's a healer, that he's a deliverer, that he's for us. But that's not what I needed to hear. All of those things are true. I'm not saying they're not true, but I didn't need to hear that. And if you texted me that, I'm not having to go at you. <laughs> but it's not what I needed to hear. And I came before God and I said, who are you in this season? And he said, I'm the God who sees you. I'm the God who hears you. I'm the God who's with you. I'm the God who walked through the valley of the shadow of the death and died and rose so that you do have hope. God knew what I needed to hear. And all of those things are true and we're further down the journey. And so I now can say, yeah, that is who God is. And I can celebrate and delight in those names. But God knows what you need to know about God today. We're going to end, and I'm going to end by reading a, a psalm over us, a prayer. And I've changed the words from I to we or us to make it about us. And it's a prayer of David, it's Psalm 27. And it is David in the midst of battle. He has enemies coming against him and he is calling out to the Lord. And it's almost like this external monologue to God and this internal discussion trying to wrestle with this question of who are you God and who do I trust you to be now his enemies are real armies coming to kill him your enemy might not be a real army coming to kill you although if we were in Ukraine right now that's probably what we would be praying but your your enemy coming against you might be doubt it might be fear it might be anxiety it might be depression it might be circumstances whatever your enemy is take the words and apply it to your situation let me pray this for us. The Lord is our light and our salvation. Whom shall we fear? The Lord is the stronghold of our lives. Of whom shall we be afraid? When the wicked advanced against us to devour us, it is our enemies and our foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besieges, our hearts will not fear. Though war break out against us, even then we will be confident. One thing we ask from the Lord, this only do we seek, that we may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our lives, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep us safe in his dwelling. He will hide us in the shelter of his sacred tent and set us high upon a rock then our heads will be exalted above the enemies who surround us. At his sacred tent, we will sacrifice with, sacrifice with shouts of joy. We will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear our voices when we call, Lord. Be merciful to us and answer. Our hearts say of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, we will seek. Do not hide your face from us. Do not turn away from us in anger. You have been our helper. Do not reject us or forsake us. God, our Savior. Though our family may forsake us, the Lord will receive us. Teach us your ways, Lord. Lead us in a straight path because of our oppressors. 
Do not turn us over to the desire of our foes, for false witnesses rise up against us, spouting malicious accusations. We remain confident of this. We will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. Let me just pray that last verse over us again. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Let's um, sing in worship to respond to him.